Catherine's already said, we're in the middle of a three-week series um, all about love and what it looks like to have healthy relationships, whether that's um, relationships with our friends, with families, with spouses, with neighbours, colleagues, with people who we're um, going on a date with, whoever it is, how to have healthy relationships, which are marked by the kind of love which we read about in this passage in 1 Corinthians 13. And today we're looking specifically at the four markers of love, which are in verse 5, which say, love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. I don't know how many of you here today have delved into the world of online dating. I know that some of you have because I have seen you on there. And I'm just going to call out the elephant in the room, which happens when we come to church. <laughs> but apparently, 18% of couples in the UK met their present or most recent partner at work. And so I think it's worth saying that we are advertising for a number of roles on the team here at the moment. And so if any of you know any single eligible men who are interested in applying, then you are welcome to visit our website to find out more details. But the truth is, um, I, don't actually, I don't go on that many dates because I find them incredibly stressful. And I've got some friends who love online dating, who um, just find it really fun. They love meeting new people. They love um, going somewhere different, getting to know someone. And just however the date goes, they really enjoy it. Me, on the other hand, I need um, voice note pep talks for my friends to like, get me out of the house because I feel so nervous and actually like, nauseous uh, before I meet someone for the first time. And then you arrive on the date and you realize that the other person is actually a human being as well and that they're probably feeling almost as nervous or awkward as you are. And you remember that you do actually have some social skills and that you are generally able to hold a conversation for an hour or two, apart from occasionally when you're not. Now, that happened to me um, a few years ago, uh, not on date one, but on date two with someone. So, you know, we hadn't just met for a drink first date, which, you know, let's be honest, if the chat isn't that great, you can down the drink quite quickly and be on your way. No, we'd met up for lunch. But I don't know how we'd missed it on the first date, but it was probably before the food had even arrived that we probably both, I think, realized that we had very little in common, other than the fact that we were both Christians. And that... You know, it wasn't just our, you know, our personalities, our values, whatever it was. It's not just that they didn't click, but that actually that they clashed a little bit too. And so thank goodness that we were in central London where, you know, we're surrounded by tube stops. And so you can make your quick exit and you can part ways and never see the person again um, as soon as the date has finished. And so I quickly named my station of choice, I think it was Leicester Square Station, um, leaving him with a number of other excellent options nearby to choose from. Unfortunately, my well-thought-through exit strategy uh, was defeated by the fact that he really wanted to go to Leicester Square Station too. And so honestly, we sort of rode two or three stops on that tube in one of the most awkward silences I think I have ever experienced. It's very easy at that point to forget that the other person you've just met is a human being too, that they were probably feeling a little bit awkward, that, that first or second impressions only scratch the surface of the depths of a person. And perhaps because you're feeling a bit vulnerable or exposed, you know, you've just put yourself out there and it's not gone how you were expecting or maybe hoping, the easiest thing to do, the easiest thing to do at that point is to use humor 
as a bit of a defense mechanism when you're retelling the story to your friends afterwards. But very often our humor can be at the expense of the other person. You know, what words do you speak over them in that moment? What's the story that you tell and where do you place yourself in the narrative? You know, it's absolutely okay to have a bad date and to acknowledge that. It's okay to recognize that there are some people you find it easier to work with than others. It's okay to admit that sometimes your kids or your parents just really wind you up. It's all part and parcel of doing life with other people, of navigating relationships. But it's how we choose to respond in those moments. In moments of rejection, of frustration, of disappointment or disagreement, or when we're hurt by other people, that's what's important. Do we choose to speak ill of the other person? Do we choose to gossip or grumble about them to other people? Do we, are we easily offended? Are we quick to get angry? Do we hold a grudge? You know, that's what was happening in the Corinthian church. That's who Paul was writing this letter to. Um, people were jealous and resentful of others' successes. They were dissatisfied with their own lots. They were arguing with each other, competing for honor and recognition. Or do we choose to respond with love? I'm not talking about a forced feeling of affection which we try and conjure up in ourselves, but the kind of love we've just read about, a gritty, sacrificial love that's an act of the will. And what are some of the things that we can practically do to love people when we don't feel loving towards them? Well, firstly, love means choosing to honor people. Love does not dishonor others. Honoring someone means treating them with respect, not rudeness. To assign honor is to honor is to assign value. It's showing how much we think someone or something is worth based on what we see in them. Many of you will know that before Christmas, we um, welcomed His Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales and the Duchess of Cornwall, Charles and Camilla, to come here to recognize the work of the food bank team, um, which had been going on throughout the pandemic. And you wouldn't believe the amount of preparation which went into that visit. You know, there was extra cleaning around the building, there were guest lists made up, um, security checks, sniffer dogs going around checking that we didn't have anything in here which we shouldn't have done. And everyone scrubbed up so well on the day. Look at those photos. You know, Martin even wore a dog collar for the occasion. And a few people asked me afterwards whether or not I got to meet Prince Charles too. But what the photos on the St. Mark's Instagram page failed to show was most of the staff teams locked away in the office upstairs for several hours whilst the visit went on, getting more and more stir-crazy and hyper because we couldn't go downstairs, watching the tiniest bit of action on our CCTV camera of what was happening down at reception. That is the back of Prince Charles's head right there. And running over to the windows as they left the building to try and get a photo worthy of the gram. And I think I did it. I think that is an excellent photo, uh, almost as good as the ones on our Instagram page. <laughs> we rolled out the metaphorical red carpet for Prince Charles, quite rightly, because it was a big deal and it was an honor for him and Camilla to be visiting us. But love demands that we treat everyone with the same honor and respect as we do the future King of England, even the people who wind us up. Even the people who get on our nerves, who are difficult to love, or who we totally disagree with. 
And we see what this looks like through the example of Jesus. Jesus treated people with dignity. He brought together fishermen and thieves. He ate with tax collectors and prostitutes. He listened to their stories and he affirmed their worth. Why? Because Jesus saw within each person who he met, not just their brokenness and shame, but also who God had made them to be. Children, dearly loved children, fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. You know, love chooses to look for the best in people, and it finds them worthy of honor. But what does that look like in our relationships today? Well, honoring people means giving them your full attention. Even if what they're saying uh, you disagree with or, quite frankly, don't find it that interesting, honoring means listening well. Honoring also means speaking well of people when they're not in the room. When someone hurts or offends you or does something which you just think was a stupid idea, how easy is it to grumble or to gossip about them to people afterwards? and to say things which you'd never say to their face. Whether it's a parent or a teacher or a manager at work, have you noticed that it's often our superiors or people in authority who it feels easier to talk about as if they're not human beings with feelings and insecurities too? But honoring them means treating them and talking about them with respect. Honoring people in a more positive light means calling out the good and the gifts that you see in them I turned 30 last year, and one of my colleagues, Chu, organized a jar full of handwritten messages um, from everyone on the team for me, you know, words, little notes of encouragement and affirmation, and it felt so honoring. And the thing is, when you honor people, when you sort of see the value in them, when you look for the best in them, and when you call that out and affirm it, have you noticed how they kind of like step into what you're saying? They sort of step into and lean into that reality and almost live it out more as a result of you speaking that over them. The tongue has the power of life and death, as it says in Proverbs. And our words and what we speak over people matters. Love means choosing to honor people. But on the flip side, love also means choosing not to seek our own honor. Love is not self-seeking. It doesn't demand its own way. This isn't a quid pro quo for uh, the honor which we've just heaped on that person who was really getting on our nerves. And I think it can be really hard not to expect or to even feel a bit entitled to be treated with respect when we feel like we're making an effort with someone. And so when that doesn't happen, when that person responds to our attempts at kindness with contempt or when they return our respect with rudeness, we want it to be acknowledged that we've been dishonored, that we've been treated unfairly. We want justice. But when it comes to conflict in relationships, it's all too easy to see ourselves as the victim and to tell ourselves a story which puts us in the center of the injustice. And yet it says in 1 Peter chapter 2 that when they hurled insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Instead of looking inwards, instead of demanding the honor that he was actually entitled to, Jesus looked up and entrusted himself to God's way. And as we shift our perspective from looking in on ourselves 
the stories that we tell ourselves, the narratives which we rewrite in our heads, you know, about whose fault that argument was or whatever it is, as we shift our perspective to look up at God instead, trusting that he will judge perfectly, we can be freed from worrying about our reputation or about receiving recognition or respect, and we can be free to assume the best in others too. Love means choosing to honor people. It means not expecting honor in return. And thirdly, love means choosing not to be offended when someone offends us. Love is not easily angered. Other Bible translations say it's not easily irritated. It's not provoked or overly sensitive. Love doesn't fly off the handle. And this is all about how we respond when people hurt or upset us. Because we can um, feel or experience offense for all kinds of reasons. You know, maybe someone um, has intentionally done or said something incredibly outrageous or upsetting. But sometimes it might have been unintentional, you know, a moment of carelessness or a lack of emotional intelligence, not um, spiteful, but still hurtful. Sometimes it's a clash of personalities. You know, there are just some people in the world who we're going to get on with um, better than others, others who are more likely to irritate or wind us up. And sometimes it's more to do with our own thin skin, our own insecurities, fragility, than it is to do with the other person at all. What do I mean by that? Well, I wonder if you can think of a time when, you know, you were maybe scrolling on Instagram and you've seen a photo of your friends all hanging out without you. Maybe you thought, oh, and felt like a sting of rejection. But for me, there was a time a few years ago when, you know, when this would happen, and it wouldn't just be a quick sting of rejection, but actually I'd feel deeply embarrassed and upset that I hadn't been included. And you know, this was a feeling which would stay with me and eat away at me uh, for quite a long time. But you know, no one had actually wronged me. You know, there wasn't anything, um, an, an offense as such. I wasn't entitled to be invited to anything. And those friends would have had no idea how I was feeling. But really, as I took time to sort of work through why I felt so offended, at the root of it turned out to be my own insecurities about my inability to make friends at that time in my life, which I'd buried deep down over a number of years, and which actually I think God was wanting to bring into the light um, and to heal at that point in my life. That's some of where offense can come from, but what's the result of it? Well. I think that most of us probably respond in one of two ways, you know, fight or flight. Uh, some of us might externally process the offense. We lash out, we use sharp words, we uh, let, we make it known either to that person or to anyone who will listen that we've been treated unfairly. Others of us might internally process. We try to ignore or bury our hurt feelings. You know, as I did when I was sort of seeing those photos on Instagram, thinking that that's what it means to keep no record of wrongs. But actually, when we don't deal with those feelings properly, they become like weeds of bitterness and resentment taking root in our hearts, the outworking of which is passive aggressiveness. It's ghosting someone or giving them the cold shoulder or ultimately a breakdown in relationship. Is it really possible to choose not to be offended, though? Well, only when we practice forgiveness. Love keeps no record of wrongs. 
It doesn't keep score of the sins of others to use as leverage or ammunition in a future fight. It doesn't hold on to past offenses. Love means choosing to forgive when someone has hurt us. Corrie ten Boom, the Dutch Christian Holocaust survivor who wrote the book um, The Hiding Place in which she wrote about how she forgave and reconciled with uh, one of the most vicious guards at her former concentration camp, Ravensbrück, said that forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It is a power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. In choosing to forgive, we're not saying that what the other person has said or done doesn't matter. It's not about brushing off or uh, making light of or even burying an offense or something which has hurt us. You know, forgiveness doesn't say, everything's okay, I'm fine, that's no big deal that you hurt me. The cross tells us that our offenses matter. That forgiveness isn't easy or something to take lightly. The cross demonstrates that it is costly when we choose to forgive someone who has hurt us. But that God was willing to pay the ultimate price to forgive us when we had heaped offense on him. That he was willing to pay the ultimate price to forgive you because he loves you. And so how can we, too, practice forgiveness in our relationships today? Well, Corrie ten Boom also said that forgiveness is an act of the will, and that the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. And so when we're finding it really hard to forgive someone, firstly, it's a choice to pray for that person, to intercede for them, to advocate, to cry out for God's blessing over their life, just as Jesus did for us when we rejected him, when we mocked him, when we said that our way was better than his, he cried out on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Secondly, forgiveness is a choice to make the first move towards the other person. You know, just as God made the first move towards us to reconcile us to himself through Jesus, we too can reach out to those who have wronged us not just to sort of bury what they did. It can be really important to actually say to them, what you, when you did that, this is how it made me feel. But in us choosing to make the first move, we can become a part of God's reconciling work in the world around us. And finally, forgiveness is a choice for us to remain in God's love, to keep receiving his forgiveness for ourselves to keep being filled with his love in our hearts. You know, some hurts are so deep that we can't heal them or forgive them in our own strength. For Corrie ten Boom, um, finding herself face to face with her former captor, Lord Jesus, she prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And she goes on to say, so I discovered that it's not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command the love itself. 
There's an analogy which goes like this. You're holding a cup of coffee when someone comes along and accidentally bumps into you and knocks your arm, making you spill your coffee everywhere. Why did you spill the coffee? Well, because that person bumped into me, of course. Wrong answer. You spilled your coffee because there was coffee in your cup. Had there been tea in your cup, it would have been tea that you spilled. Whatever is inside of the cup is what will spill out. Therefore, when life comes along and bumps us, shakes us, which will happen, whatever is inside of you will come out. So each of us has to ask ourselves, what is in my cup? When life gets bumpy, what spills over? Is it joy, gratefulness, peace and humility, or anger, bitterness, harsh words and reactions? You choose what is in your cup. True love is a choice. It's an act of the will. And it's how God chose to love us and how he invites us to love others as well. That's the invitation here today, to love, to honor others above ourselves, to lay down our offenses and to cry out for God's blessing, his loving forgiveness on those who have hurt us. But we can only do it out of what we ourselves have received. God's love poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And so I'd love us just to pray for that now.